Welcome to the Just Being Honest podcast show. This is your host, your toxic-free lifestyle advisor and mindset coach, KB. On the Just Being Honest podcast show, we are dedicated to educate the public about how to live a purely toxic-free lifestyle. By eliminating and dramatically reducing the use of many products and lifestyle threats that contain these harmful ingredients that often bombard our life in a mysterious manner, we too can all as a collective whole become healthier and mentally wealthier. So join me on the ride. We're getting deep. I think today is going to really hit home with a lot of you guys. Um, sugar. That is our topic today. Sugar. Okay, wait, hold on. Don't turn me off just quite yet because, you know, sugar can come in so many different forms, as you may well know, and especially on the marketing side that we've been thrown to into in this world right now. You have all sorts of substitutes out there. You have all sorts of artificial gimmicks and just things that you didn't know exactly where it came from. Um, And then you have something like an apple, sugar. So my next guest today, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, She is living in such a serene environment. She lives in Vermont. And that is one place that I would love to visit in the wintertime, may I add. No, hold on. Hold on. I didn't say wintertime. That was a Freudian slip by anything that I've ever heard. Summertime. Sorry. Your face definitely told me that I needed to correct that, Andy. Andy Grayson is here today. Um, Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, KB. Um, Andy, you're going to tell us all about sugar, all about why we connected in the first place, because you have such a vital message to share with everyone out there. So I would love for you to just kind of hit it off um, and share a little bit about your, your maybe even your upbringing first, why you got into this, and um, and then we'll go from there for sure. So I came into public health through the media, actually. Um, my first career was in media production, and I started studying, I was I, I got a job at Sesame Street at the same time I was working in TV commercials. And that was because I wanted to understand what makes media messaging and, and storytelling through video so powerful. Um, and I ended up getting a master's in a field called media ecology to further understand that. And so my interest in making media medis- messages and understanding why they're so powerful mm-hmm started happening at the same time. And um, I got interested in the role of media that media plays in shaping our food environment, like Mm. TV commercials make everything look so delicious, but they don't tell you the whole story. They don't tell you how they're made, how they're disposed of, how they're distributed. And so I started seeing a connection between media and our health. Uh, so I started, um, did a whole bunch of other things, but ended up teaching in the Masters of Public Health program at UVM about behavior change and really trying to understand what influences our behavior. And something that wasn't really being talked about in public health was the whole idea of food culture. We talk about a toxic environment, 
Um, so now you've probably noticed you can't go to Staples and buy a, a thumb drive or Best Buy to buy uh, anything technological without going through a checkout line that's lined with candy. Right. And, yeah. So, <laughs> so and that's a toxic environment. It's putting these things in front of us, making it seem convenient when in fact it's just pushing all these uh, harmful products on us uh, and making it seem normal. Of course, I'm going to pick up a candy bar when I go to buy a ream of copy paper. <laughs> like they try and make it seem normal. So I got really interested in um, and was studying to write a book, researching to write a book about how advertising influences uh, our food behavior, our food choices. And all that time, I was um, in denial of my own sugar addiction. Ooh. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Well, um, sugar addiction is a spectrum, just like alcohol addiction is a spectrum from some people who do it over, do it a little bit, and then some people who do it obsessively. And sugar addiction falls into the same realm. Uh, some people can have sugar casually and some people can't. And the challenge with sugar addiction is that there's a whole bunch of justification that happens in the brain that makes it okay. Like, mm. and this is what I was saying to myself for years and years is, oh, I worked out today. Mm. So I, I deserve that treat or I had a rough day or I'm going to, I'm going to clean the house and then I'm going to have a treat. And so it interacts with our, because dopamine is, uh, we get a, a hit of dopamine from, from having sugar. The sweet taste um, is a biological uh, disposition we have because the sweet taste means calorie density. And as a survival mechanism, we're wired to pursue uh, sweet tasting things because it's a, it, we need those calories for survival. But in this environment where you can you can't avoid sugary treats it's way beyond a survival mechanism and in fact the food marketing companies take advantage of that biology by putting sugar in front of us all the time making it really hard to resist mm. so i was deep into this denial of um, rewarding myself with treats um, and thinking they were justified. And then one day um, in 2016, I was in the grocery store getting ready to check out and looking for a snack to eat on the drive home, which was something that I did all the time. And this particular day, as I was reaching for the dark chocolate peanut butter cups, I heard a voice in my head say, oh, you can have that. You worked out today. And oh. it was a voice <laughs> of a surety. It was a voice of conviction. Of course you can have that. But it, I heard it in a way that I hadn't heard it before. And I stopped in my tracks and I thought to myself, how is it, who is talking to me? And then when I realized that's the sugar talking, I did a, I did a pivot. I stopped right there and I changed my focus from how the media environment and the cultural level of sugar to the biological level. How is it possible that sugar is talking to me? And uh, I'll tell you right now, it, it actually does talk to you. And that's because of your gut biology. And in your gut is good bacteria and bad bacteria. The good bacteria feed on fiber and the bad bacteria feed on sugar and flour. Mm. And when those bad bacteria need to be fed, they send a message up your vagus nerve, it comes out your thoughts, and it will justify anything 
to be fed. And that, that's simplifying some complex biology, but that's how I interpret what's happening um, when we have those kinds of cravings. Okay, let's just take a pause. Yeah, whoa, yeah. a lot going on here, guys. Stick with us because like this can be quite overwhelming. And I feel personally, even though I'm kind of, I've never really truly been into sugar. I think I'm more of like the endorphin addict, but maybe that's because uh, my upbringing, certainly as a child, like I had my times where I'd walk down to the candy store and stuff, but my mom was a functional nutritionist. And I think I just was so sensitive as a child that, um, my body had very visceral repercussions. If I had something that was too sweet or too rich, it still to this day does, which is crazy. Um, cause I have such a, like, um, just a clean gut microbiome. But anyways, I wanted to touch back on something you said, something that I love, Sesame Street. That is one of the most fondest memories I have as a child. Every day at 9 a.m., I would beg my mom to turn on Sesame Street, which actually, when you talk about media and our decisions, media and health, great. The saddest thing that I really kind of want to jump into when we talk about sugar today is children. Okay. Sesame street teaches children so many things, right? How to make friends, how to like, you know, not become grouchy like Oscar, (laughs) whatever the things may be, diversity, culture, all those, all All those those things, things. languages. The saddest part of this story is that there is someone up there with a higher dollar, right? Making these decisions and trying to make children ill, right? So they can make more money because they know it's an addiction, right? Kids can't say like, oh, mom, like this sugar is, you know, it's like reading the tobacco box, right? Oh my gosh, tobacco may cause lung cancer, right? I could die or whatever. Or it's not like saying like, hey, kids, Elmo here, here's your sugar, you know, or whatever, like, make it diabetes one day, but that's cool. You know, like, like, these are like huge things, like decisions, because as we know, Andy, you go, you know, the body keeps the score. And when you become an adult, you got to do the inner child work anyway. And you've got to say like, man, those decisions that you make every single day, one of my favorite quotes, that there's decisions you can make every day, right? The choices that you make totally make you. And I'm getting very heated about this because I'm pretty frustrated that like, you know, people can say, oh, learn by do, you know, learn by example from your parents and stuff, correct? Great. Certainly you can learn by example from your parents about how to eat, you know, sugar consumption, addiction consumption, mental health, all of those things. But at the end of the day, you know, we have big corporations that are literally suffocating children's decisions. They don't know. Their brain is not developed enough to think about that. And they are truly addicted, just like video games, you know? 
all of those things of that nature. It's manipulative. Okay. So I kind of want you to jump into that, the dopamine effect and, you know, just how media and sugar, we're going to like sidetrack this media and sugar is like wrangling our decisions too, and creating a dopamine effect, right? Much like drugs, much like over-exercising, all of those things, much like sex addicts, you know, it's all interconnected. Will you jump into that? Sure. And you, you left a lot of pieces there to jump in on. Um, <laughs> there's a lot around dopamine. And I think one of the things as adults, we all need to manage in terms of our, in terms of our happiness is understanding where we get our dopamine. Mm. And do we manage it or does it manage us? I think there are some areas that in the area of addiction, like you mentioned, um, where uh, pornography is addictive, sugar is addictive, alcohol is addictive. Um, and we're just beginning to understand, well, it's been around for a couple of decades now, but this whole idea of food addiction and processed food addiction and what that does biologically to the brain and how it hijacks your system so that you really can become physiologically addicted, um, just as some people can become alcohol addicted. Uh, but I wanted to jump back too, to, um, to the whole thing about kids and, um, you know, where we are with the state of obesity right now uh, and the consumption of processed foods most adults don't know the extent of how bad sugar is for their kids and use sugar as a reward mm. uh, all the time for kids. Um, you did well on a test. Let's go for ice cream. Oh, you fell down and hurt your skinned your knee. Oh, let's go have some cookies and make you feel better. So, and, and teachers in school do it too. They have rewards for doing well. You know, if everybody cleans up their desks and, and has a, uh, a tidy space, we'll, we'll all get Hershey's kisses or whatever mm. their reward is because it does, it is a reward for the brain, the sweet taste. But kids, they, they're like sponges. I mean, they're all, they also are rebellious and want to do what they want and also have very strong pulls towards sugar as it, in their, in their childhoods. Um, but it's pretty easy to interest them in another story also. Um, for example, kids in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, they love the idea of being, um, going on a, on a treasure hunt. And if you tell them that, um, or give them a sheet of paper with uh, a list of 50 names of sugar, and there are at least 50 names for sugar, you can have, you can play a game with them. Well, let's find out how many foods that, sh how sugars and how many of the foods that you eat or in the supermarket, can we buy this? Let's not buy things with more than X percent sugar. And they can practice their, you know, their numbers and they can practice their reading and they can get engaged in, in the education process. And older kids, um, junior high, high school, they really respond to understanding how advertising manipulates them. Mm. So there's this concept, for example, that food manufacturers use called the bliss point. And that's where they, they so processed foods are engineered. They have food engineers that try and maximize the combination of sugar, fat, and salt to make them the, the most addictive possible. That's why you can't just have one Dorito. Um, mm -hmm. And this concept of the bliss point is where they'll 
what's the maximum amount of sugar and other ingredients that will maximize the addictive qualities of the food without it being too much? So they'll, for example, they'll give a child um, a cookie, uh, a cookie with X amount of sugar, and then X plus one amount of sugar, then X plus two, then X plus three. And when they get to the point where the kid says, ew, I don't like that, they know they've hit the bliss point. They've hit the maximum amount of sugar and fat and salt that will make this food addictive. And that's how they engineer food to be maximally addicted. And I think when kids find out about that, they it piques their interest. Kids don't like to be manipulated. They don't like to be told what to do, and they don't like to be manipulated. So when you give them some insight about how they're being, their taste buds are being manipulated, or how they're being manipulated through advertising or promotions on TV or promotions uh, on the radio, then they they sort of get into it. You mentioned about teaching kids how to, you know, even like look at food labels in a way, like kind of like have them like help themselves. My question on this is how is it hidden on food labels? How is sugar hidden on food labels? Well, the um, last year we got a new nutrition facts label, which thankfully has a new line for added sugars. So you can see directly on the label how many grams of added sugars um, and total sugars and carbohydrates are included in the product. So that's a huge boom for everyone's health and information. The ingredients part uh, of the nutrition label, it's usually right below, are listed in order of the largest quantity by weight. And so maybe the second ingredient might say sugar. And then the fourth ingredient says dextrose. And then the sixth ingredient says uh, maltose. Um, and anything with an OSE is going to be uh, is, a, is a sugar molecule hmm. or a sugar ingredient. So by the time you add up all of those other names for sugar besides sugar, it's often ends up being the largest percentage uh, of the ingredient or the second level ingredient, um, which is is way too much. And that's and that's not even listed on the added sugars. That's just in a list form. Oh, the the the, the, the ones that are added will be included in that total of added sugars. Oh my gosh! Because I know on the food labels now they have like sugar right? And added sugar underneath that. So do you add those two together? Well, some foods have natural sugars. So right. but a packaged food, what I'm saying. Right. But so if the packaged food has raisins in it, uh, I think the rate, the sugar in the raisins is going to be on the sugars line and added sugars will be the frosting and the, the other. Chemical. Yeah, the other additions to the formula to make it crunchy. Interesting. And, so like yeah. the more processed, engineered, etc. Yeah. And I know also like what other people, I was telling my husband about this last night, you know, because he asked me this question, is one sugar better than another? You know, is all sugar bad? And that's a good question because you know, certain foods are actually metabolized or digested into the body, turned into sugar, right? So absolutely. So you're absolutely right. There are different forms of sugar. And people always ask me, um, well, what about maple syrup and honey? 
Mm. Um, and so there's a bunch, a couple of different ways to answer this question. Um, if you're focused on, so sugar does two main things in the body that aren't so good. It causes inflammation and it causes, it leads to in, insulin resistance. The insulin resistance happens because you've elevated, you've spiked your blood sugar. So when you spike your blood sugar, when you eat something sweet with refined sugar, it spikes your blood sugar and insulin needs to be released so that your cells can absorb that glucose, that sugar into your bloodstream or into the cells and out of the bloodstream. Honey, maple syrup, concentrated fruit juice, sugar all spike your blood sugar. Therefore, it's going to spike your insulin. Mm -hmm. So it all affects you the same way. It's possible that honey and maple syrup and other naturally derived sweeteners like um, well, the sweetness in an apple, say, will affect your blood sugar, but it won't affect it the same way. Well, honey and maple syrup will affect your uh, blood sugar the same way, but it may not affect your inflammation the same way. And I think everybody's body is a little bit different. Like you're very sensitive to the sugars. So you might respond negatively to honey and maple syrup, whereas somebody else might not respond so poorly. Fresh fruit comes packaged with a ton of fiber and natural, naturally occurring minerals and vitamins. And so the digestion, it doesn't spike your blood sugar as much and as long as, um, as, a sh as uh, eating a bag of chips, say, or cookies that um, don't have all that fiber built in. So another question is because there are a lot of sugar substitutes out there, mm -hmm. right? You know, you know, you you just touched on some that are natural, like fruit has fiber and, you know, the nutrients and minerals, great, you know, um, so that obviously, you know, in moderation is of everything, right? But then honey, you know, could be, it's like straight into the veins, right? A little cocaine. Um, and then you've got like maple syrup along the same line, you know, not to say a little bit could, could do some great immunities with like a good honey out there, like a really good honey in my personal belief. Um, but there's the artificial sweeteners out there, right? There's the sucralose, there's the quote, I'm going to say this, this brand Splenda, you know, um, there's, you know, even, you know, what about like date syrup? You know, what about monk fruit? What about stevia? People are going to ask all these questions. Tell sure. me more about these if you can. Absolutely. There, there are several different categories of alternative sweeteners. Um, there's the the chemical ones like aspartame and sucralose. Um, and then there are the sugar alcohols like xylitol and erythritol. And then there are uh, the plant derivative ones like stevia and monk fruit. Um, and then there are the fr fruit derived sweeteners like date syrup or agave syrup. Um, I would put agave more in the category of honey and maple syrup than uh, dates, for example, or date sugar or coconut sugar, um, because it's also highly processed. So um, one of the 
frameworks I like to think about is um, how processed is it? Because even stevia and monk fruit, you know, they it starts as a as a stevia is a plant. Uh, it looks like uh, it's a green plant that looks like an herb, and to turn it into a white powder requires a lot of processing. So the journey from plant to sweetener is very much akin to the journey from coca leaves to cocaine or... I was going to say the same thing. Poppy poppy flowers to heroin. The amount of processing is just so, so extensive and involves lots of different kinds of chemicals that I think in large quantities, our body treats it like a drug because Mm -hmm. it's not found in nature. It's processed in a way that highly concentrates it in a way that our bodies were not built to consume. So that said, um, stevia comes in many different forms. Usually uh, products that say stevia sweetened um, are actually also have erythritol in them. Same thing with monk fruit. If you buy monk fruit or stevia in a package and it's a white powder, chances are it has erythritol in it or another sugar alcohol or another alternative sweetener. But I do keep um, stevia extract and monk fruit extract as drops in my house. I use it in baking. I think it needs to be treated with respect. Um, right. And when things start getting, when I start doing it every day, it's like, whoa, I need to chill out because <laughs> I'm giving my body something that is, it's not built for. Yeah, you're getting that hit, girlfriend. So my question, you just said stevia drops and monk fruit extract. Yeah. Yeah. Are those your two top hits? I'm sorry, I shouldn't use hits. Top picks for... Freudian slip. Yeah, right? For a (laughs) sugar um, addition to something. If you need a little bit of sweetness, because we all know that everyone has been conditioned like oh this isn't sweet enough or yada yada you know you see it with the the milk alternatives too you know like adding plant milks and a lot of them have sugar in it so so are those your picks because I was going to ask that question yeah those are my picks I use them in alternative baking but I also bake a, a sort of a paste out of dates Mm-hmm. Uh, you soak dates for a little bit and put them in a high-speed blender, and it turns into a, a paste um, that I use uh, to lightly sweeten cookies and cakes and um, when I'm baking. So here would be a good uh, place to add in the idea of how you dress up your carbohydrates. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you have a piece of bread on an empty stomach, it's going to spike your blood sugar and spike your insulin. But if you have a piece of bread with um, scrambled eggs and greens on it, mm-hmm. it's going to, the fat and the protein is going to slow down the absorption of the carbohydrates. In, in tran- it'll slow down the transforming of the complex carbohydrates into simple carbohydrates uh, and won't spike your blood sugar as much. So the this idea of dressing up your carbohydrates uh, or, and or thinking about the order in which you consume them. So if there's bread at dinner, have salad first, then a piece of chicken, then the potatoes. <laughs> so you're not having the potatoes boom on an empty stomach, which would lead to more of an insulin spike. Mm. 
you know, um, something I do want to address because I was all about kind of like the glucose, right? But something I do want to address along with this is um, might be along the same lines, but you know, fasting is very popular. A lot of people yeah. fast. I fast myself. Actually, I do intuitive fasting. So Ooh. I listen to myself about like how long of time I need, depending. But um, with that being said, the first item that you consume after that, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, have a juice, right? Ooh. Or right, sugar, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Um, but a lot of people will also go to, oh my gosh, I've been fasting for what, 24 hours or whatever they're doing or 16 hours or 14 hours. And they're like, I'm so hungry. And they eat anything. They're like, well, I've been fasting. So what's your mindset on that? Because someone might like, you know, hypothetically grab for like the strudel or I don't know, do people eat strudel still? Strudel or the bread or whatever, you know? What would you say to that? Um, there are a lot more, uh, a lot of people who are experts on fasting, but I would say start with fiber because you want to feed the good bacteria. So I would start with a salad, maybe with some uh, with some protein in it. If you eat uh, fish, some salmon or some chicken, uh, I would keep it pretty lean, um, but Fiber, I believe, I believe in greens. <laughs> I believe greens. in a lot of fiber. Uh, at least half the plate should always be filled with vegetables. And then depending on if you're active, you might need some sweet potato or some starchy vegetables like squashes, winter mm -hmm. squashes. Um, or if you're a if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, then lentils and beans. Um but the greens, the body loves the fiber. And the especially if you're trying to transition away from eating sugar and refined carbohydrates, um, beefing up the amount of dark leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, like broccoli, cabbages, is really going to help a lot. Sounds like my daily plate right there. Um, sounds good. My question that everyone's probably asking and you kind of just touched on it a little bit. So what do we do? Like, what do we do? We now all have like that fear mindset. People are like, oh my God, sugar, I better read all the labels. I better like empty everything from my house. Right. Um, what do I do now? I'm going to go to the grocery store. Like, what do I do? How do I, what do I tell my kids? Ah, what do we do? Before people go crazy is just to think about the context of of what they're eating. Is there something wrong with having a piece of dark chocolate every day? No. But what else are you eating? If you start the day with a croissant and then have a muffin and then have uh, a sandwich and, and then have uh, another fruit snack and then have, you know, a pile of carb pasta for dinner, your blood sugar is going up and down, up and down all day long. So you want to try and minimize those blood sugar spikes. So one of the first things I recommend people is to start with a savory breakfast. No more cereal, no more toast and jam, no more, uh, well, I have pancakes on occasion, but I have them made with almond flour and use sweetener like applesauce instead of 
uh, piles of maple syrup uh, and wheat flour pancakes. And and I should add that just because you're going sugar-free or sugar, I, I advocate for a sugar minimal lifestyle rather than sugar-free mm-hmm. because I think our bodies can probably handle uh, a little bit. So context is one thing. Um, and then it also depends on what else you're up against. If you have any diagnosis, you want to be minimizing the amount of uh, sugar you're eating because those blood sugars fluctuations and the inflammation are just going to make whatever you have worse. Context and whatever else you're working with will determine how far down the path to sugar minimalism you want to go. Tips would be start with the day with a savory breakfast. Jesse Anchose is uh, an author who goes by the glucose goddess on Instagram. Uh, She's uh, done a lot with glucose monitoring and continuous glucose monitoring and um, has a lot of hacks for how to minimize the blood sugar fluctuations. She's all about eating the good stuff, eating the sweet stuff, but wrapping it around with, with with fiber and fat and protein so that you don't fluctuate your blood sugar so much. So there are ways to have your treats um, with traditional sugars or with alternative baking. But there's also the piece about being really honest with yourself because sugar does talk to you. I deserve it. Uh, I don't want to be so restrictive. Why would anybody want to do that? I mean, it's sugar really talks to you. So being honest about the voices in your head and listening to them and asking yourself, where's that impulse coming from? Is it a true desire for this thing or is it um, a biological push because I'm feeling stressed and I want to avoid feeling what I'm feeling. So I'm going to stress eat instead. So personal honesty plays a really important role in really trying to get to the bottom of it because people, people are manipulated by sugar. And I think the desire to be free of the manipulation is a real motivator. My, my community is called the Sweet Freedom Society. I want people to feel free and not ruled by sugar, um, which many people do. Oh my gosh, so beautiful. I mean, there are so many other topics like how to talk to, you know, even teenagers because sugar is such a cool thing, you know, Uh, fast foods and all of those. It's like so many, many other like pillars we could jump into. But we've we've covered a lot and um, we've even gotten to Sesame Street, which I'm so, I just love that. So where can everyone find you? You told us a little bit about your community already, but where can everyone find you and learn more? Sure. The the main place that I'm uh, concentrating my efforts is a, a website called the createchangelab.com, createchangelab.com. And there you can find information about my my new book called The Sweet Tooth Dilemma, which is being released uh, July 18th. You can also find out information about the community there called The Sweet Freedom Society, where my program that I created called Breaking Free from Sugar Lives, uh, over 3,500 people have taken that course with over 95% saying they've reduced how much sugar they ate. So there's a place to learn and get support and make some positive changes in your health if you're looking to do that. I love it. I love it. The Sweet Tooth Dilemma comes out July 18th. So guys, if you are listening to this after July 18th, go grab the book. 
Thanks so much again, Andy. Thanks so much for the opportunity, KB. Look forward to it. <laughs>